Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. Well, we know that religious freedom is in decline around the world, but recently the nation of Russia has enacted some very restrictive laws. Our guest today to talk about it, uh, Attorney Orlin Johnson, who serves as Director of the Department of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty for the Seventh-day Adventist Church in North America. Orlin, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Al, it's my pleasure to be here. It's always a joy to be online with you guys and to have an opportunity to talk about religious liberty issues. So um, somehow religious freedom has gotten caught up with anti-terrorism in Russia, it seems. That seems like an odd association. What exactly is Russia up to? Well, you know, it's Russia, so sometimes it's hard to say. Um, it's kind of interesting that this package they put together was kind of dealing with terrorism laws, and it's ushering in these really tight restrictions on missionary activities and evangelism, and how they've tied that to terrorism is a little bit unclear. But there's obviously been a ton of protests and a ton of human rights advocates that have been pushing the Kremlin, and Putin ended up making the announcements anyway. And the law is supposed to be against kind of sharing your faith and putting restrictions on sharing your faith in any place other than a recognized church building. And in Russia, there's actually very few recognized church buildings. So if you're going to be prohibited from doing things in your homes, online, or and a numerous number of churches are actually worshiping in buildings that are not quote-unquote church buildings, it seems to be creating a real wall of religious liberty and creating some issues regarding freedom that I'm not sure what terrorist activities have to do with it, but it's the type of thing that we all have to look at and, and stand up. And if you're not there and don't understand how restrictive this is, because it sounds as though, well, you can go in your church and do whatever you want, but when many of the worshiping has taken place in buildings that are not churches, then what you've done is you've really put a muzzle on religious liberty and religious freedom there that the world has got to step up and make a lot more noise about. Well, I know that Russia has, since the Soviet era, really been collaborating with the Orthodox Church. Russia considers itself an Orthodox country, and so I'm not surprised to see new restrictions that would really apply to everybody but the Orthodox Church. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, it just kind of goes to show that, uh, you know, when you've got the right relationships politically, it always seems to benefit you, and whether it be in business and whether it be in, in other form of politics. But now we're starting to find out that it's going to be a benefit even from a religious standpoint. And, you know, I think the proof is going to really be in how the enforcement takes place. You know, let's face it, you have the ability to enforce and engage in surveillance in a very hostile manner, or you can get involved in it from what I would call a, a less intrusive standpoint. But if you're going to be in a position where you can't even email your friends an invitation to church or, or even evangelize in your own homes, and there's going to be surveillance that's going to be reviewing that, and you could fall into a category of anti-terrorism, it 
just seems as though that's obviously gone way too far. And unless the world really stands up and makes a lot of noise, it's probably going to go through and get more restrictive and just get worse and worse down the road. And and just because you've got a good relationship with the government should not put you in a position where you get carved out. But we're seeing how it works when you're in these organizations and political structures that are not democratically based. So just how restrictive are the, well, the penalties is what I'm wondering. How severe are the penalties if you're found in, in violation? If you're if you're having friends over for a Friday night Bible study, can you get arrested for it, put in jail, a fine? How severe is the law? Well, it carries fines. and I think if you look at the numbers, the anti-evangelism fine that you would have to pay would put you in a situation where you would end up paying approximately $750 for an individual and approximately what we would call $15,500 if you're an organization. And foreign visitors who violate the law face deportation. So I think in large part, you know, you may look at some of these numbers and some may say that's not a big number. But if you start looking at those fines on a case-by-case basis and when you start taking into consideration the the average amount of money that an individual makes and organizations make in Russia, that's pretty extreme. And, you know, a lot of it also is going to depend on how the so-called Big Brother activity and surveillance is taking place. But the fact of the matter is, if you're caught and someone decides to prosecute you to the extent of the law, it could get very expensive. And for those who call themselves missionary coming in and trying to proselytize, they will also be in a position where they could get deported. Years ago, when I was still in New York, I taught a Bible study at church, and we had some nurses who had been working in Saudi Arabia for a number of years. And this sounds very much like what they were subjected to in Saudi Arabia. If they had just their family members come together and have a small group worship for a church service in their home, they were subject to deportation just for reading the Bible together and having prayer. And sounds like a very similar situation now taking effect soon in Russia. That's exactly what we're looking at. And I think, uh, you know, the Russian uh, government is being very, very clear You know, when you look at their definition of missionary activities, you know, it's defined as religious practices to spread faith beyond its members. Uh, You know, from a Protestant standpoint, that is our whole mission to go out and to preach and teach the gospel and baptizing people in the name of your God. And if they're saying that any activity to spread faith beyond your members is going to violate the law, with the exception of the Orthodox Church there, you're in a situation where you could be looking very much like what we saw in Saudi Arabia and in other parts of the world. But I think even more importantly, Alan, it points out that the point that many of us realize that work in this business, you still have almost 80% of the world in which religious freedom does not exist. And I think as we start to get more and more into these type of conversations and discussions, it's critical that we understand that this is not an isolated incident per se as it relates to how people are generally being treated. And we have to take on the clear adage that if it's going to be a restriction for anybody, it's a restriction for all. And if you don't fight freedom at every level, then you're at a point where you'll find out that your freedom starts to get lost at every level. 
I think Americans tend to take for granted that not only do we enjoy religious freedom, but that people have religious freedom around the world. If I just heard you correctly, you said that something like 80% of the world doesn't have religious freedom. That's correct. And I think we do take it for granted because we live in the quote-unquote the home of the brave and the land of the free and we believe that when we get up, we have the power to do and say whatever we'd like to do within the confines of the law. And sometimes you take for granted that your life is a similar life to others. And we're really seeing here that the reality is that that is not the case. And part of what we as Christians have to be willing to do and those of faith have to be willing to do is to really step up and be willing to be counted, not just when it shows up and starts impacting you and your church, but whenever you see something that's impacting anyone, because whatever injustice that you see for one group, just rest assured, your group's around the corner, and you want to try to head this off sooner rather than later. But the longer we wait and sit on the sidelines, then the tougher and tougher it's going to get to fight off these battles that are coming our way. So what can our listeners do? Is there something they can do other than wringing their hands or praying for freedom in Russia or somewhere else? Is there something practical, some way for them to actually get involved and make a difference? Well, I think, first of all, you know, being able to get the message to others to understand what's really going on is critical. Uh, I think just like you said, you have a lot of Americans that sit around and believe that we've got freedom and therefore our lives are good, so there's nothing else to really worry about. But I think the other thing that's important is that normally when you start to see things get restricted from a freedom standpoint, religion just happens to be one of the first orders of business because you can kind of get into that group and you can make decisions to restrict that group because sometimes they're a small percentage of a population, so you can't really, quote unquote, impact large numbers. But that same level will come and start getting you in other areas of your life, which will start to affect more. So I think one of the first things you can do is you have to tell somebody and make somebody aware of what's going on and let people know that that outrage has to take place. And, and hopefully, you know, through the United Nations and other world organizations, that the pressure will then be put on countries like Russia that is looking to really stamp out evangelizing outside of a church, which is how they define it. But in large part, they're trying to cut out evangelism, period. Well, if I'm correct, so far there has not been a call for, example, for Americans to write Congress about this issue or to write the State Department. But frequently when we have these kinds of issues, the call does go out for average churchgoers, people sitting in the pews, to contact their congressmen, to speak out. Isn't that right? And if they do, does it make a difference? Well, I think that is important to do, and I think it does make a difference. I think one voice crying out in the wilderness can be heard, and as that voice is heard, then other voices are heard. I think that when we're talking about talking to people, I think you have to talk to your political leaders, your congressional leaders, your members of the Senate. But I think you also have to talk to your state leaders. I think everyone needs to be aware of what's going on, because if you do not complain and talk about it and then allow those groups to talk about it and to reach into their own concentric circles to make impact, then what will end up happening is what Russia and many other countries hope, that you pass these laws, no one says anything, and then it just gets swept under the rug, all the people that are losing their opportunity for freedom and for their freedom of religion. 
Orlin, the thing that I have said so many times, because, of course, in our church, we take up an offering every year for religious freedom in the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And I've often thought about what value do we as Americans place on religious freedom? What are we willing to give to preserve religious freedom? Are we willing to give the price of a pizza to feed the family? Every month we take time to pay the bills, which is something that if you're like me, you don't like to have to do. Are we willing to take 15 minutes and write a letter and make a phone call? Are we willing to pay a price for our freedom? Or do we really not care? And it's a question I keep asking myself and I keep asking in churches. And I want to put it to our listeners. What value do you place on freedom? What are you willing to do? How do you think about this question, Orlin? Well, I think you're right, and I think everyone has to come to a conclusion. And in my mind, and I was just recently writing and thinking about a topic of this nature, my religious freedom has to be the most important thing in my life, you know, next to my salvation and next to my family. I've got to look at my religious freedom as something that I think about every day, that I work towards every day, because at the end of the day, how I'm being treated from a religious liberty standpoint will impact everything I do, impact who I speak with, will impact how I speak with people, it will impact how open I can be or how open I'm not going to be. And I think the dialogue or at least the conversation that Americans have or don't have relying on religious freedom is the problem. We do take it for granted. We do figure, well, this is not in my house. It's not in my backyard. So, you know, as long as it's not in my backyard, I don't have to worry about it. But if we could ever get to that point, it would cause us to look differently, I would think. I certainly hope so. Our guest today, Orlin Johnson, we've been talking about the new restrictive laws in Russia. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk the talk about religious freedom. We offer help to those suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Till next week, let freedom ring.